0: Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. We're embarking today on a new chapter in this podcast. We're starting a new format, which I hope everyone will enjoy. And even if you don't, we still want to hear from you and you can tell us what we're doing wrong. We like it more when you tell us what we're doing right, though. I'll tell you later how to contact us. So here's how it's going to work. I'll start with some news headlines and a little commentary about them, and then the meat of the podcast, an interview with someone we think is interesting and believe you will too. Today, we have Steve Hill, the state's economic development czar. At the end, we'll close with some to and fro on some issues of the day between myself and the Indies managing editor, Elizabeth Thompson. We're calling it Indy Perspectives. So let's get started. We began the week with Riley Snyder, our intrepid energy reporter, breaking news that NV Energy has backed off a rate increase. The small boost was to help the utility offset costs from a new law designed to help rooftop solar customers. That issue has been a nightmare for the utility as everyone from progressives to solar companies to even Mark Ruffalo have lambasted Warren Buffett's Nevada company on the issue. Ruffalo was calmer as the Hulk than he was on this issue. It's clear NV Energy felt that retreat was the better part of politics on this one. Jackie Valley, our tireless education reporter, detailed this week how the state superintendent delayed a decision on a new gender diverse policy in schools. Steve Canavero said he was holding off because Clark County is developing its own policy, but that decision came after parents opposing special dispensation for transgender students flooded a meeting. Now some of you may know I have a special interest in this issue. My son is trans. I've come to learn a lot from him and his experience, and there is much more ignorance than there is actual hatred on this issue. But for the state to defer to Clark County on this policy it's not just letting the tail wag the dog. It's just pure cowardice. Riley and Jackie also had news this week of Clark County District Attorney Steve Wolfson signing a letter to Governor Brian Sandoval and Attorney General Adam Laxalt urging them to enforce a new background checks law that's been in limbo since it passed more than a year ago. Sure, Wolfson's a Democrat, the other two are Republicans. But the issue is whether something that passed by the voters should be held up because of technicalities. Laxalt, who's running for governor, had been especially vociferous about this and he campaigned against that background checks initiative. But being pro-gun rights, Has always been a winning issue in Nevada, despite that initiative's passage. I doubt this will change anything. Riley and another of our great team members, Michelle Rendells, broke news of two legislative retirements this week. Assemblywoman Irene Bustamante-Adams, who once was thought to be in line to be Speaker, says she's not running again. She was an unhappy warrior after being snubbed on the Speakership by her caucus, but she was respected for her work ethic and her knowledge of issues. And Amber Joyner, a newcomer from the North, also said she won't seek another term. I'm told the issue was financial, which raises the issue again of what we expect when we pay our legislators next to nothing to do this job. Elizabeth and I will talk about that issue at the end of the podcast. Finally, this week, there was more news in the recall movement started by the state Senate minority leader, Michael Roberson. The secretary of state sent a petition to recall Nicole Cannizzaro back to Clark County for further signature verification. And the Democrats responded by accusing Barbara Sagaski of being a partisan trying to help Roberson. And he remembers how much those two liked each other when they were both state senators knows how laughable that is. But this is all happening because of conflicting statutes and partisan opportunism. So who will settle this? Those ever impartial black robe folks on the state Supreme Court. What a mess. You can see all of these stories on the Nevada Independent site. We're a nonprofit news organization at thenevadaindependent.com. You can also make a tax deductible contribution there, too. We appreciate all of the support from our readers. We'll be back in a moment with Steve Hill. Back on Indie Matters with our guest, Steve Hill. I'm joined by Michelle Rendell, who will ask Hill questions too. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, John. Nice to see you as always. Now Steve Hill may not be a household name in Nevada, but he's played a central role in major economic development decisions here for more than six years. And he's been a key executive branch lobbyist as well. Before he took over the newly created Governor's Office of Economic Development, Hill was a successful small businessman in Las Vegas. His Silver State Materials Corp provided the foundation for many buildings, large and small, in the city. And he's about to embark on a new adventure, which we'll talk to him about. Steve Hill, welcome to Indy Matters. Well,
1: thanks for having me, John.
0: All right, I want to start off uh, this first of our interviews. Uh, You're kind of our guinea pig here, uh, Mr. Hill, with the kind of question that that I want to ask all of our uh, guests, and uh, that is, Beyond the introduction that I gave you, the brief introduction, who are you and why would you, as a successful small businessman, give all that up? You didn't have to do it to go to work for the state.
1: Well, you and I have known each other for 20 years, and I've I've been interested in public policy during that whole period of time uh, and been involved in a number of different ways. Um, I had sold the company, and I was at the point that the governor... talked to me in 2010, just an employee for that company. I was running Nevada and Arizona for them. You know, it sounds trite. Uh, I don't know how else to answer the question, but uh, it's important to me to give back and uh, to serve where it makes sense for me to serve. Um, and this has been a pretty terrific opportunity. It's been a great job and I've got a great boss.
0: Has it surprised you uh, in any way, uh, in, in good or bad
1: or both? Yeah, no, it has, frankly, surprised me to the good. Um, you know, Nevada had not put a lot of effort uh, or at least focus into economic development prior to the recession heading in 2008-9, and, um, and the governor made it a uh, kind of a signature issue uh, for his uh, first term, and it was it was an obvious choice. It was very much needed, um, but... Um, Because we didn't have a um, an effort that was just a, you know, I was able to continue with. uh, We revamped uh, the entire uh, program. We moved it under the governor. We restructured um, quite a bit of the tools that we have to use. Um, But you don't really know that that's going to be successful. We had not had much pure economic development success uh, in the past in the state and really didn't know if that was going to be possible. So there's a little bit of a step into the unknown when you take a job like this. Um, But it turns out Nevada has a lot to sell. It has uh, a great leadership group, um, both at a state level and at a local level, um, agencies, regional development authorities, and certainly the business community. Um, And we had a lot to sell. And we were able to be successful at times. And, um, you know, uh, I talked to you when I first took the job. And I said, we're, we're, go-it is not going to change the economy in Nevada. But we hope to help make a difference. Um, and I think we've been able to do that.
2: Michelle? You know, you had... A front seat to all these businesses that are coming here and telling you why why they would choose Nevada. And one of the things we do hear a lot of the meetings is you guys are so much better of a tax climate, a regulatory climate than California. But how do we become something maybe more than just the cheaper alternative to California? Are, Are we looking... Uh, to build something bigger, something that will attract, kind of become a talent hub. Where where are we going with that?
1: Well, and I I think we have become something more than that. And um, the the tax climate here is certainly um, very conducive for businesses, but it's not what we lead with. Um, what we try and do for each individual company is develop a business case that makes sense for them, and that is a number of different topics. Um, it's the cost of doing business. It can be the cost of utilities, or is there a workforce here? Or can they attract a workforce here? Um, it's the. Lo- I mean, we are, you know, thankfully located in a um, central way to the West Coast. We are within one day's drive of 60 million potential customers. Uh, So we have some natural advantages. Uh, Here in Las Vegas, we are a globally connected city. Virtually anybody who's going to be a customer of a company is going to pass through Las Vegas on a pretty regular basis. Um, All of those things matter. Um, And then what we've really been able to uh, make, I think, a part of the Nevada brand, Elon Musk talked about it when we made the announcement on Tesla, we're the get it done state. And We are that because throughout the state and all those people that I mentioned are looking for a way to be able to say yes in a responsible way. And we have figured out as a state how to do that. And that certainty for businesses matters a lot.
2: What's the next step for Nevada? And one of the things that brought this up is is you guys aren't just incenting any job. You're actually going through the process of raising the standard and and raising the threshold that these businesses have to reach to to get abatements. Um, What does the next step look like for GoEd, for Nevada, in terms of economic development?
1: Well, I think capitalizing on, and I I could talk about that for the rest of the time we have, Um, but I I think capitalizing on um, what's happened over the past six years, um, and that, you, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, the The research and development around advanced transportation, I think, is a huge opportunity for the state. Um, and getting research and development uh, portions of companies in Nevada is kind of the holy grail for economic development. You become an innovation-based economy. You're not just attracting – and I don't mean – to disparage these businesses, but, you know, call centers or distribution centers, uh, if you can get to the point where new products, new services, new businesses are being developed in the state, uh, that's when you really start to raise the standard of living across the board. Um, we see that with Hyperloop One. It's, it's, it's a signature um, development for, uh, for Southern Nevada. Um, we're seeing that on the UAV front. We think we're going to be seeing that soon on the autonomous vehicle front. Um, The next 20 or 30 years are going to be about artificial intelligence and autonomy. When people look back a century from now on this period of time, it's going to be about that. And if we can be just a part of it, let alone I think we're right now moving toward being on the cutting edge of those types of technologies, um, that will really be to the benefit of Nevadans. You know, it's interesting that, that you mention that because it is is—it is really nothing short of incredible to see the
0: kind of stuff that's come here. You mentioned it, the Hyperloop, drones, uh, uh, autonomous vehicles. And you mentioned that Elon Musk had said uh, uh, that we're a can-do state, I remember that. One of the criticisms, and you and I have talked about this a lot, is people don't just see us as a can-do state, but we'll do anything for you to get you here, state. Uh, get whatever you want from us, don't worry. Go ask Steve Hill. He'll find a way uh, to, to, to get it for you. That While you have to play in the tax incentive game, tax abatement, whatever you want to call it, the incentives game, to be part of the entire effort to compete with other states, have we gone too
1: far? I'm sure you would argue no, but make the case. Yeah, no, I... I'd... I don't think we had John. Um, and you know, t- take the Tesla, which is the, – the, I mean, if you look at all of what we've done, um, Tesla obviously stands out the most and stands out the most from a potential um, tax abatement standpoint or total incentive standpoint. Um, Tesla has transformed northern Nevada. On average, basically the most that that is going to cost the state is having – um, allowed Tesla not to pay a, a little over $50 million a year um, in taxes that they otherwise would have paid. And by the way, during that session, we also offset about half of that amount over that entire period of time by eliminating other programs in order to help pay for uh, the incentives that we offered Tesla. Um, if somebody would say would have said in 2013, um Can we pay $50 million a year or maybe half that, $25 million a year, uh, in order to completely change the economy of Nevada now and in the future? That's a bargain. Um, And I don't think we've seen the last of it. You said transform Northern Nevada, transformed
0: it. I mean, our, 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 I know housing prices are, are crazy, and, and, and we actually did, Jackie Valley did a piece about the scarcity of housing uh, mm-hmm. uh, up there now. Uh, uh, how has it transformed Northern Nevada totally for the good?
1: Well, I'm not saying that there are not um, issues that come along with growth that we have to deal with, um, but when we when we were looking at first looking at the deal with Tesla. Um, The concern really was that the economy was still based on gaming. Uh, It had become more nearly more of a locals market than an export market. And there is more and more competition. And and really, Reno is a different place than Vegas. Um, Vegas is a destination. And for most in Reno, that's not the case. Um, So there was no underlying um, primary uh, economy. Uh, in the in the region, we had still double digit unemployment. We The, the region led uh, the nation in um, f- homes that were underwater, uh, in bankruptcies. I mean, it was still a very difficult situation. Now now there's three point nine percent unemployment in Northern Nevada. Um, we projected that Tesla would raise the gross regional product all by itself, by 22% once the factory uh, was at um, full maturity. Uh, Just the process of getting there uh, has changed the economy um, significantly. Um, It has also put both Reno and Nevada on the map uh, for all of these other opportunities. Uh, Apple was first. uh, Tesla was next. And then we have you know the other uh, projects that have come after that. Um, in addition to that, it is bringing in um, at least a broader number of very innovative people, some of whom will stay with Tesla and Panasonic and the factory. Others will certainly at, at some point break off and potentially start their own company or work for other uh, innovative ventures up there. Um, so that, that transformation is real. Michelle?
2: What, what are you hearing from these businesses in terms of um, Nevada's tax climate? I mean, there's got to be conversations you have about us not having income tax and and things like that. Um, but what about the commerce tax? And what about other things you know, that Nevada has in place? And, and how do you advise legislators on, on creating a, a tax climate that's actually going to attract uh, businesses going forward?
1: Yeah, the... Um And one thing I should say is that, you know, given that information about virtually anywhere is now available readily, um, by the time we're hearing from most companies, um, we're in a final group and they have sifted through a number of other locations and decided that Nevada is one of their – one of the areas that they're going to consider. So – we may be losing company for companies for reasons that we just never hear about. People ask us about workforce a lot. And frankly, we don't hear a lot of companies overly concerned about workforce, um, but probably because they've already done the work to determine that on their just own. Just so people understand what you mean by workforce,
0: you, you, mean, you don't mean not enough people, you mean not enough people. You mean not not enough training for the kinds of people that need to work? What, what does that mean? Yeah, it, it, it
1: can it can mean all of that, okay. and it can include purely just education for uh, the the children of employees, um, and all of those things are in consideration when a company looks to to either but typically expand, but every now and then relocate. But we're hearing from companies when they're further along that process, so we may not hear those issues as often as they come up with companies we don't hear from. Um, Certainly our tax climate is, you know, one of the best in the nation. It's ranked that way uh, on a very regular basis. Um, You know, I testified during the 2015 legislative session that the commerce tax would not uh, be a problem at all uh, for economic development. Um, There's reasons for that. Economic development is about bringing money in from out of state into the state. And you do that by selling your product or service to someone outside of the state. The commerce tax does not tax that transaction. So companies that are moving here that export uh, aren't being taxed. Um, The other benefit of the commerce tax, and really the alternative, would have been um, an increase in our modified business tax or our payroll tax. So we would have been taxing as an alternative Nevada companies providing Nevada jobs and not taxing companies from out-of-state who are selling into the state and competing with Nevada companies. Um, So the commerce tax rectifies those two things. And from an economic development standpoint, it has not caused an issue. Periodically, we get the question. We explain to companies how it works, and their typical answer is, oh, okay."
2: You guys have an in-house economist and can look at these numbers and kind of subdivide things. Have you – noticed any slowdown as a, as a result of the commerce tax? Have you have you seen any economic impact as a result of that being here?
1: No, we haven't.
0: You mentioned the education for their workers. Uh, and I'm wondering, uh, the education system, especially the lower education system here, has gotten a lot of criticism over the years. It's still getting criticism. Uh, someone, as we're sitting here, is criticizing it. Does that come up in a negative way in a lot of conversations you have with people trying to come in out of state?
1: Well, again, I'll start with the caveat that I started with on the last one, where um, we're, we're hearing from people who have reviewed Nevada or, you know, wherever they, um, whichever region in Nevada they're looking at, um, and have come to the conclusion that it's worth pursuing. Um, it the, the topic does come up. Um, there are, I mean, I think to fairly point out, there are a lot of really good schools in Nevada, um, some of which are public, some of which are private, charter schools. I mean, we've provided options um, and, you know, we've invested a lot in improving the school system over the last couple of sessions. Um, So the the companies that come um, obviously feel okay with that. uh, But I don't think anybody would um, argue that we don't need to continue to improve school achievement in the state
0: we've talked about your successes and Tesla is an obvious one. I'm wondering if you still wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking about what went wrong with Faraday. Um, I know there were caveats even when Faraday, when you were doing the deal with Faraday. You put more safeguards in, I think, with Faraday even than you put in with Tesla. Did you read that wrong? Did, did, did the governor read that whole thing wrong? Or was, was that beyond your control?
1: Well, the... Outcome for any company that we um, pursue is not within our control. That's within the control of the company, um, and I don't wake up with cold sweat uh, at, in the middle of the night for that particular topic. Um, Thinking about going on <laughs> this
0: podcast? Yeah, that, that, <laughs> okay. Yeah, last night was a little tough. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> but th- we we went into the Faraday deal with our eyes open. They were. Open with their financial situation, we were able to review that. And we understood where they were. Uh, We were relying on uh, Mr. Jha to be able to fund this and knew that 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 could run into problems. So we structured the deal to provide the upside that could have been there for Nevadans, which could have been significant, but made sure that there was no downside. And that worked out. Uh, You know, this did not cost the state anything other than some time in a special session. And, and you know the political embarrassment, frankly, that comes from going through that effort in a very public way. But frankly, the right thing to do, if you can do this without having risk, is to try and provide that benefit to Nevadans, even if it may embarrass you from a political standpoint in the future. And we think we made the right decision there we made the right deal, and it didn't work out as we had hoped. I will say that the a part of that was uh, creating a path to the infrastructure at APEX, which we continue to think is very important. We need a qualified project now to go with that, but that path for that infrastructure at APEX is there, and we would sure like to be able to pursue that, and we think we'll be able to at some point. Any qualified projects in the works? Yeah, sure. We, we almost always have some qualified projects, that, you know, two or three or four, uh, in the works, if you'd ask me that question at any time. Anything you want to announce here? Yeah, probably not. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of the things that's come up on the
2: campaign trail in the gubernatorial race, um, Adam Laxall has said, you know, I see the rurals. Um, some of these places are are really struggling. Uh, some of these towns are, are dying. And this came up at the GOAD meeting in public comment last time. I mean, what are we doing uh, to revive some of these towns that are not Reno and Vegas? Um, and what can really be done about some of these very small towns?
1: Well, it's a it's a different um, thought process for the most part in some rural areas of Nevada. Um, and You know, rural. we we tend to categorize rural Nevada as rural Nevada, and they're actually very much different in different locations. Um, In the area where there is mining, obviously that area of Nevada is very mining dependent. Um, GOED was the first organization to – or first economic development organization at a state level to – hire a mining industry specialist, we put that mining industry specialist in Elko. Um, he has done some really great work um, attracting company in the su- companies in the supply chain uh, for uh, mining. Uh, he has mapped the, the entire mining permitting process so that we can look at how to improve it. That is a spreadsheet that is nearly 20 feet long. And we've identified about 10 areas to go to work on that we think could be streamlined that could be helpful. Um, A number of areas along those lines. Um, We've looked at, uh, well, we have a community development block grant program. So we're doing what has been typically called a Main Street program, where we're helping to redevelop Main Streets in a number of communities in rural Nevada. Um, So economic development in um, in rural Nevada includes community development. Uh, we think making those communities more attractive for people to want to be there is helpful as well. Um, the, UA, the UAV effort has been um, as much a rural effort as, as it has been an urban effort. Um, we've helped um, move clinics forward, uh, health clinics forward in uh, rural Nevada. We keep a list of every community And there's 27 of them in in rural Nevada. And what are we doing in each one of those 27 communities to try and help move those individual communities forward? So there's a fair amount of focus on it. The big relocations or expansions of companies don't typically happen uh, in those smaller rural communities. But uh, there's a a lot we can do to help move the ball forward.
2: You mentioned the health clinics and, and, you know, there's not services in some of these towns anymore. Um, What is it going to take to to make a place that a business would be able to move? Is there a bare minimum um, that we need to do as a state to to get people even out there?
1: Well, some of it at times is just um, looking for the right opportunity. For, there's there's a number of federal programs that help um, with those, those clinics. Um, becoming a uh, federally qualified healthcare facility um, is an important part of that process. We've helped Uh, do that here. We've helped do that in um, portions of rural Nevada as well. Um, I think working with the community, finding those who are willing to create uh, those opportunities there and then connecting them to the right resources is kind of a minimum level. And then looking for a business case that makes sense is what we've been trying to do.
0: We have a few minutes left, and I know Michelle wants to ask uh, 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 you to announce when Am- Amazon's second headquarters is coming here, but we'll get to that in a second. But, uh, of course, I have to bring up the issue that you and I, again, have had many private conversations about, and that's the stadium. I think I saw you out there in the, in the, in the, in the big uh, groundbreaking with a hard hat on uh, and no one uh, had more right to be there than you did because you made that deal as well. Uh, that's, a, that's a book you need to write sometime about, about, about all the players in, in that one. There are so many stories, though, and, and you know this, about uh, public investment in private stadiums not being a good deal for the community. Uh, that's, that's the macro issue. The, the more micro issue is that some people still can't figure out where the heck are people going to park? Uh, to, to, to to go to Raiders games, uh, you still believe a hundred percent that this is a good deal for the, for the community.
1: Oh, I do. Yes, um, and and the 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 folks who criticize stadium deals, frankly, seldom offer a metric for what makes it a good deal. Uh, they just, frankly, seem to have a philosophical problem with it, and then say it's not a good deal. Um, Vegas is different. I mean, obviously we are, um, the global leader in tourism and hospitality. We're a global destination. We do not have a stadium that, um, can host mega events and this will solve that. Having the NFL on top of that is what allows it to happen. And, really a, more than just having 10 NFL games here a year um, kind of cements Las Vegas as um, one of the sports capitals of the world. Um, that will inure to the benefit of organizations like UNLV and the med school and developing a sports medicine program, which I think is a real economic development opportunity. Um, so th- there'll be a lot of spin-off spinoff um, benefits from having the stadium here. Um, but We were conservative when we looked just at what the stadium would bring in terms of tourism. Um, We felt that 27% of the attendees at events would come to Las Vegas because of the event in the stadium. And the economic benefit that we calculated was based only on those 27% of the people who would attend. That adds about 1% to our tourism base. Um, That's 450,000 people a year. It's a big number. Um, But it's certainly something we think is achievable, that then generates more tax revenue than the room tax actually raises, uh, creates about 6,000 jobs in the community. Um, we think it's well worth it.
0: Am I going to have to walk from my house to get there? Or is there going to be a place to no, park? We'll,
1: we'll, we'll figure the parking out.
0: It's not going to be easy though, is it?
1: Um, I, I, I think there are good solutions that will be found. <laughs> okay,
2: Michelle. <laughs> Does it concern you that the NFL is not, uh, not doing so well at this point in time? The viewership is on the decline, that, that maybe people are foretelling the, the decline of the overall NFL?
1: No, I think the – look, the, the NFL is still the brand uh, in the United States. Um, they're expanding internationally, obviously. Um, you know, you'll get some ups and downs. I think you some of those statistics go up and down because uh, just like the media has found out on the journalism side, people are consuming NFL games in many different ways. I don't think all of those are being counted Um so we're we're confident that the, the NFL is around and will be a force to be reckoned with.
2: And of course, the um, Amazon second headquarters. We put in an application. Is there anything you can tell us about whether we have a chance at this point?
1: Well, um, you know, I've said this publicly. We have a very good relationship with Amazon um, r- right now. The, the, I don't know if you know, but they have about fifty thousand people in Las Vegas for um, their internal uh, convention and meetings. Um, we've got a strong relationship with them. Um, you know, there were, I think 240 applications turned in. So just from a mathematical standpoint, um, you can't say you're a favorite. Um, but I think we've got a shot. Um, Do you really, you really think we have a shot? I, I do. Um, we have a lot to offer. Um, and I think we, presented that in our proposal um, and like I said we've got a good relationship with that but other communities have a good shot at this as well and if they just pick one place then you're down to one in 240 so
0: so uh, we, we need to wrap this up I just have a couple of final questions for you T- tell us people may not know that you're going you're, you're you're gonna be leaving uh, what you've been doing uh, for six years and, and, and on to a new adventure
1: tell us where you're going and tell us why you're leaving well um, you know, it's, it's a tough job to leave. Um, and uh, when I talked to the governor about that in August, I certainly expressed that. Um, he's been not only great to work with, but probably the most important reason that we've had success in, in this area. Um, I wasn't planning to stay in this job past Governor Sandoval's term. Um, and the, the opportunity with the LVCVA came up. That's the convention authority, in case people don't know. Um, and um, that you know that that has not. There's nothing settled there. Um, but what I didn't want was to leave Goed uh, in a situation where, if I happened to leave in January or February, it'd be very difficult potentially for the governor to bring the right person on to take my place. Um, Paul Anderson is the right person to come and take my place. He had other opportunities too. Um, so when I was talking to Paul about it, I said, you know, I, I will, I've talked to the governor, I will leave, go Ed in January, I'd love for you to come and, um, take over for me. Um, and I know he's not going to be in, inter- he didn't ask me to do this, but he's not going to be interested in, um, coming and becoming my deputy and me potentially staying for a long period of time. Um, so I thought it was right for, uh, the state, the right for go ed, um, that I announced that I was leaving, um. And I'm honored to be considered by the LVCVA, but we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes.
0: The deal is not quite done yet. Paul Anderson, whom you mentioned, in case people don't know, is the former leader of the Republicans in the Assembly. Finally, I have to, I have to ask you because you and I have had many conversations about it. There's been speculation out there. I have to acknowledge, mostly by me, that what a, you'd, be, you'd be a great candidate uh, for governor. Uh, it would be a natural stepping stone for you, I think, from everything you've done, both in the private sector and and, and with the state. Uh, Yeah, there's already four candidates uh, in the race. Uh, Have you thought about it at all?
1: Well, you know I've thought about it. And um, I don't know what you necessarily mean by great candidate, and I'm flattered that you'd say it. but. A great candidate also has to be able to get 50 plus 1% of the vote. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, John. So
0: Not if you run as an independent. You wouldn't have to get 50 plus 1%.
1: Uh, yeah, is that right? Is that just in honor of the name of your organization? Yeah, a, see, okay, that, I'll, I'll,
0: use, I'll use any opportunity. <laughs> All right. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good way to wrap it up. We appreciate that promotional. Uh, plug. Steve Hill, thanks for being our first uh, podcast interview. We really appreciate your coming. Thanks, John. Thanks, Michelle. You bet. And Michelle, thanks for coming on and and asking the good questions while I just uh, sat here and and asked the the lesser ones. Thanks to both of you. Uh, We'll be back on Indie Talks with Indie Perspectives with Elizabeth Thompson putting me in my place. Stick around. John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. We're trying out our new format today. We've done the news headlines and the interview, and now we're doing what we like to call Indie Perspectives. That's where my colleague and friend, Elizabeth Thompson, the managing editor, will join me, and we'll try to talk uh, in some spirited and in-depth way, we hope, about some issues of the day. Welcome, Elizabeth thanks, John. great to be here so let's let's talk about the issue that everyone in this country uh, I- I- is talking about, which is uh, 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 the sexual harassment—the uh, the latest uh, uh, casualty being Matt Lauer—but uh, this has been cascading now for weeks, starting with Harvey Weinstein. You could even go back and say it started uh, a little before that with Bill Cosby. But varying degrees of 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 of, of sexual harassment, misconduct, even uh, uh, abuse. Mark Halperin uh, from 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 journalism. Now you have a couple of politicians in the crosshairs, uh, uh, both of them Democrats in 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 in. in Congress of John Conyers and Al Franken. And then you have all the controversy swirling around Roy Moore, who uh, will be on the ballot on December 12th. So I guess what I'm what I'm interested in here, and a lot of people are talking about this in different ways, is how differently some private businesses are handling this. Like, look at how NBC handled this. I mean, Matt Lauer was gone almost instantly, and there's a lot of controversy around that versus what's going on with Conyers and Franken and more and the tribalism that still uh, exists in, in, in politics on some of this stuff. What do you think?
3: Well, at this point, um, Pelosi actually has called on Conyers uh, to resign. Uh, so, uh, and that's the first time we've really seen a strong uh, statement within a party where the party leader has called on uh, the longest serving Democrat in the House now uh, to resign. And he's been hospitalized. Apparently, he's under so much stress. I don't know if people know this, but he's in his late 80s. Um, so I would assume that between the stress and the health problems, he probably will resign. Of course, Paul Ryan was quick to. Uh, echo what Pelosi said and said yes conyers uh, as was, as was
0: James Clyburn the head of the congressional Correct. black caucus and now there's an, an and even this this podcast we should say is being recorded on Thursday won't post until sometime Friday so who knows he could have resigned by Possibly, the time yeah. we, we, we're, we're uh, on the air
3: and then but with Al Franken not so much right i mean there was a call for an ethics investigation which he agreed to submit to and to have those results uh, publicized but he you know he doesn't look to be moving towards a resignation no one right now is calling uh, for his resignation, even though that photograph uh, on that plane that got circulated, I mean, that was a stunning and shocking uh, image. And I was surprised, actually, I, I I expected there to be some call for his resignation. And I even thought he might, you know, resign uh, in, in shame. And it was, uh, so it, it struck me as odd that that's not what happened. But yes, on the corporate side, in every case, with Charlie Rose at PBS, Matt Lauer at NBC, the, these companies, even yesterday, Garrison Keillor, <laughs> a beloved uh, top- Prairie uh, Home Companion, uh, right? Yes, host for decades in the, this country, uh, also um, summarily let go on the basis of what I understand of just one complaint uh, that came forward. So the corporations seem to be moving quickly uh, towards either forcing resignations or terminating people. I find that- Interesting, because in the past, when there have been individual instances of sexual harassment complaints, usually what happens is then we go into a months-long investigation, human resources gets involved, more witnesses have to be collected, and even even corporations haven't been that quick uh, right away uh, to terminate just based on allegations. There definitely is a snowball uh, effect and the pressure, I think, of public opinion that's coming down where a lot of these companies now just seem as if they have a zero tolerance policy. They don't want the bad press. Uh, they do not want to be associated in any way with any of these scandals. And so they're being very, very quick to, to let people go.
0: You mentioned Pelosi calling for Conyers uh, to resign, but that came days after she appeared on Meet the Press, described Conyers as, as an icon in this country, said to, to, to Chuck Todd, I haven't heard the, the, I don't know who these women are, do you? Uh, and suddenly her attitude changed when more when, when, when more information came out. I think, I mean, to me, you can make an argument that Franken should have resigned after that photo because it was absolutely outrageous. Now you have other women coming forward. He is essentially, you know, who are, was essentially accusing him of fondling them while during photo ops. And he, his, his explanation is, well, I've had thousands of these who, you know, who knows. Kind of, and, and And you have Roy Moore... Who, while some Republicans have called for him to get out, the President of the United States, who may have his own issues uh, uh, on on this, uh, has essentially uh, uh, all but endorsed him. Uh, uh, so, uh, are, are we going? Is there ever going to be anything, uh, any any time when this kind of tribalism that exists in politics is gone? No.
3: See, that was an easy one. (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, You know, um, I mean, to be fair to Pelosi, at the time she spoke on Sunday, she probably didn't have all the information. And initially, there was just one woman who had come forward. And so in many of these cases, uh, I think when multiple... Victims start to come forward, and then maybe there are some, you know, witnesses involved, and then they, so you 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 gather more information over time. And so yes, then you may feel differently, and you may think a different course of action, uh, you know, needs to be taken. The the Roy Moore thing, I look, I don't know what to say about it. I mean, he is—he has as much as admitted in some ways that he just didn't think it was a big deal to be dating these younger women when he was a DA in his they
0: 30s. They were girls. They weren't uh, women.
3: Young, young, young girls. Uh, and so in some people's minds, that'd be enough right there to disqualify him for, for public office. But I think in some cases, if leadership and either party is not going to call on members of their own party to resign, it's going to be up to the voters then next time around to remove these folks from office office.
0: That's kind of a If they're convinced
3: talk. of the evidence themselves.
0: Yeah, but the evidence against Roy Moore is much greater than any of the other ones that, that we've talked about. Let's, let's move on to the second topic I wanted to talk to you about, and I alluded to it earlier. Uh, we had this story this week. We broke the news of, of uh, Irene Bustamante Adams and Amber Joyner leaving the legislature. Uh, for people who don't know, and there's so much cynicism in politics. Uh, Elizabeth. People don't know that our legislators here, they're part-time and they're paid almost nothing uh, for for doing it. They're essentially, I mean, just to round it off, uh, $10,000. And it's always occurred to me that this is maybe the greater of two evils. I don't know how you feel about this. They have a part-time legislature that we don't pay anything, uh, that, that, that there's going to be allegations of conflicts of interest versus the full-time legislature where there are problems with that too and they become insulated from the people more and they're not as ma- there's not as many real people uh, in there. I actually think that might be the lesser of the two evils.
3: Look, there's always there's this long-standing argument throughout the, the states on whether it's better to have a citizen legislature that is part time, uh, that is not what we would call the professional class uh, of politicians and, and lawmakers, or whether it is better to have lawmakers who do it uh, full time, who carry institutional Knowledge, they become knowledgeable in in areas of policy. uh, And that if you pay them a living wage, uh, then they are actually free to do those jobs in a full time way to dedicate themselves uh, to the business of of the state. It's interesting the disparity across the state. So, you know, here in Nevada, as you mentioned, you know, we meet every other year. There are five other states where that's true. And none of those states pay their lawmakers very, very well. They're kind of all in the same ballpark. New Hampshire pays its lawmakers $100 a year to me so they get paid virtually nothing New Mexico pays their lawmakers zero on the other hand you've got states like California Pennsylvania where they actually do have full time lawmakers there's there's sessions every year they're making 80 to 100,000 a year uh, i think i think many People who believe in a full-time legislature support that idea that if you want quality people who are well-educated and they're going to study up on policy and they're going to be in there doing the business of the people, may- maybe you do, you know, want to hand out higher salaries in order to attract uh, that that higher you, you caliber. You don't buy of that people. argument. I do. Yes, I, I understand the argument, and I don't, I don't think it's wrong. Um, I, I think there's another perspective to this, which is that, especially in a small state like Nevada, do we really need 60-something lawmakers to be working full-time around-the-clock month in and month out on policy when frankly sometimes they do enough damage just in the four months every other year that we uh, give them and we end up in the next session undoing things that were done in the prior session because they weren't done correctly or we've got to add more laws on top of it because oh we didn't think of this and that, that, that's not to disparage the Nevada legislature I, you know there's a lot of very smart hard-working people up there and they're, they're doing their best um, but I'm I'm not convinced, necessarily, that a full-time legislature year in and year out is the answer here in Nevada.
0: I do want to say, before we move on to our last topic, I think Amber Joyner and Irene Bustamante-Adams, both of whom may have had financial considerations for leaving as well as any other, were two good legislators. Uh, We didn't know enough about Amber Joyner, she hasn't been there a lot, but Irene Bustamante-Adams was a person who really got into issues and was a very hard worker, was a true citizen legislator, but, but, but couldn't make it work. Finally... Uh, let's uh, get some perspective uh, on this issue of background checks, which came up again today uh, this week. Excuse me, when Steve Wilson, the Clark County DA, as I mentioned earlier, uh, wrote this letter. Um, uh, you 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 are a gun owner. You 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 you're a very pro gun rights person. Uh, do you think background checks would work?
3: Well, we have background checks to some degree. So what we're talking about now is more layers of background checks, right? Um, And, you know, with question one um, still being in limbo because we're not enforcing it at the moment because there's this, uh, you know, the FBI can't get on board with the way the state already does it or vice versa. Um, But we're we're arguing about matters of degree here. We already are a background check state. Um, What we're talking about now is whether we're going to have background checks required across the board for private gun sales. Uh, There are many gun owners who agree that that's reasonable, and that it's even reasonable to charge people a small fee of around $25 uh, to go through a background check, even in a private sale, to make sure that the person you're selling to has a legal right uh, to buy the gun. And I myself, personally, I don't object to it either. I think it's fine. Uh, The bigger point I would make uh, is that the folks who are clamoring for more background checks in more situations, because their argument is that this is going to reduce Gun violence and reduce mass shootings, I think, are often uh, a little pie in the sky because uh, the people who commit crimes, whether it's, it's homicide on an individual basis or mass shootings, a lot of times what we're dealing with is a mental health issue. Someone who has never uh, been found guilty of a crime, and no one even knew they had a mental health issue until they actually uh, killed someone, and there is nothing you can do to legislate against that. No, no amount of background checks is going to prevent that type of thing from happening. So that's more about, uh, you know, the the energy behind the reasons for the law, though, than it is about the law itself.
0: It seems to me, and I, again, I think it's always bad to. Completely generalize about any group of people, whether it's any demographic group, whether it's millennials or, or Latinos or even gun owners, right? But I do think a lot of people who are for gun rights are not even opposed to background checks as much as they are opposed to what comes next. In other words, the nose under the tent. If you believe in the second amendment, maybe I don't believe it's absolute, but once you start chipping it away, suddenly it's gone. Do you hear that?
3: Sure, Um, there's a concern about having either either a state-based registry of gun owners or a national registry. And I'll give an example of California, because this has already happened. California has a state-based registry of gun owners. Millions and millions and millions of people who own guns uh, are registered, and California actually, in some cases, and this has to do with mental health. It also has to do with criminal records. If you commit a crime, they cross-reference the database of you in the criminal database and you in the gun database. And law enforcement shows up at your house, knocks on your door, and confiscates your guns because they know where you live and they know what guns should they do that in your register. In some cases, they probably should. Uh, In other cases, it might be a little questionable. But I think in general, it makes gun owners a little nervous that a government entity knows where you live and they know what guns you own and that they could on some legal or other pretense show up and remove those guns from your possession forcefully.
0: Uh, I think, unfortunately, gun rights, gun control, one of those issues that people have such a visceral reaction to that they can't even talk about it logically, as we have here today uh, on Indie Perspectives. Uh, I think we did all right on our first try. Elizabeth, thanks for coming on Uh, the podcast. We'll do it again next week. It
3: was fun. Yeah. See everyone next week.
0: That's all the time we do have for this edition of the Indie Matters podcast. We want to know what you think, especially about our new format. If you have ideas, criticism, or even praise, yes, praise, email us at ideas at the nvindie.com. And please check out our site if you haven't already, the nevadaindependent.com. You can go on iTunes and subscribe and you can rate us there too. You can find us on Google Play and uh, you can you can rate you can rate us there as well i I'll, as always i want to thank our wonderful hosts here at kunv on the campus of unlv for making sure we get this done and as always many thanks to joey lovato who's our fantastic producer i'm going to say it this time elizabeth but you're going to be required to do this in the in the future who makes us all sound podcast smooth i can't even imitate it that's with my voice do you want to try it elizabeth one time podcast smooth oh my god she's she is hired i'm john ralston thanks for listening to indie matters we'll talk to you next week
1: move.